Well, hello, family. Good to be with you today. It's good to be worshiping with you. Man, the presence of God is here today. I just want to take a minute and first of all, start off by saying hello to our family joining us over at the North Campus and all of our family joining us online from wherever you are watching from or whenever, if this is in the future. And also, I want to give a quick shout out to all of those watching from Upshur County Jail. We're grateful to have you with us. Come on, South Campus. Let's tell them how much we love them. We love you so much. You are our family. And I would just also say, look, if you've never had a chance to visit us in person at one of our locations, when you're able to, we would love to have you come in person and join us. And we've been an amazing season in our church. We've had 21 days of prayer and fasting and uh, where you were setting some spiritual habits in your life. And I know that God was speaking to so many of you. And we ended that with a time of presbytery and prophetic words and multiple services and Really, I just powerful words were coming forth for people in our church, and I know God was continuing, continuing to speak to you. And so I'm, I'm so excited about that, as, especially as we head into this next season of our church, uh, which you've heard multiple times, and that is life groups is why we wear these shirts that say, don't do life alone. And so I want to encourage you, it is not too late to lead a group. And uh, I, would, I would just encourage everybody to consider leading a group because there are things that you do in life that you have passions about. And God wants you to take those and just put some purpose to it. That's what life groups are. Whatever you're passionate about, put some purpose to it and bring other people along and help them grow closer to Jesus in whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's riding bikes or studying a book or watching a video curriculum, whatever it is, put purpose to it. And I would encourage you, it's not too late to do that. Our semester starts next Sunday. So looking forward to that. And then, uh, Lastly, before I get into the series and the message today, I know that you've seen the promo for it today, but next Sunday we are starting Love Songs Volume 3, and you know this was the first series that I did as the pastor of this church. I remember they handed the baton to me, and the next Sunday I did Love Songs, and I thought they're either going to love it or they're going to take it back. They're going to be like, we made a mistake, you're not the pastor anymore. And by the grace of God, uh, it, was, it was a great series, and it is probably one I get requested most to continue to do. And that's because you look across the landscape of our culture, and relationships are still failing. And so I just want to encourage you, whatever stage of life you are in, if you are married for one day or you've been married for 50 years, you're going to get something out of this series. If you are single and you want to be married one day, you're going to get something out of this. If you are in a relationship, you're going to get something out of this. And if you're single and you never want to get married again, you're going to get something out of this because you can, first of all, learn principles about just relationships with other people, including your family. But also, I would just encourage you if you're in that stage of life and you're like, I'm just not ready for a relationship. I don't want to be married again. Come and pray for people who need it. Come and serve people who need it because you, it, it is one of the greatest needs in our culture is healthy, godly relationships. So I'm going to encourage you to be a part of that. Pray for that. We always have a good time. That's next Sunday. You don't want to miss that. But this Sunday, I am closing out our series on more. And I'm not closing out the theme on more because that is the theme for the year for us. Really, I would encourage you to make it a theme for your life. Uh, the verse that the Lord gave me for this series was Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. That says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably. And I want everybody to say this word together. More. Say more. Type it in the chat, more. You need to consider that word on a regular basis. When you're like, God, what do you want to do? He's going to say more. I want to do more than you are thinking right now. He, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask 
or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. And I hope that as we continue this year, I hope that as you continue in your life, in your, in your journey with Jesus, that you will continue to remember that not only is he able to do more than you could ever ask or imagine, but he wants to. Sometimes we're like, God, I know you're able to, but do you really want to? He wants to do more so that he can get the glory. It's not through you. It's not through your power, your ability. It's his power working in you. So he gets the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for generations to come. And that is probably one of my favorite parts of this verse is because God is a generational God. And our church is going to be a generational church where one generation commends the good works of the Lord to the next generation. Our goal, as long as we're alive, is to continue to invest in the next generation because God is going to get his glory in the church, and I just want it to be ours, okay, for generations to come. So we've been talking about more for several weeks now, and I would just encourage you to continue to listen to these throughout the year so your faith will continue to be built. We talked about how God wants you to have more faith that what little you have, no matter how small and insignificant you think it is, in his hands he can do more with. We talked about more space, that if you'll create more space, God will fill that space with what he wants if you'll create that margin in your life. One of my favorites we talked about was more of the Holy Spirit because I believe God wants you to move in more of the Holy Spirit this year than ever before. And then last week, Pastor Chuck talked about more influence. And God wants you to expand your influence, not again, so you get the glory, but that he does. He wants to put you over more things so that you can bring more people to him. And today I want to talk to you about something that's been stirring in my spirit for several weeks now, and that is more victory. I want to talk to you today about more Victory And the verse that just keeps going over and over and over in my spirit is 1 Corinthians 15, 57, that says, But thanks be to God that he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, too many people walk through life without victory in their life. They walk through life defeated, deflated, barely making it, slumped over with their head down all the time, just going, oh, things are so hard. How are you doing? I'm just barely making it. We're not supposed to be barely making it. We have victory in Jesus. And the problem is, is when battles come and things get difficult, we give up. Oh, this is so hard. There's not supposed to be a battle. This is difficult. And we forget that we have victory in Jesus Christ. And the truth is, is we're all facing battles. There's not a person in this room or online or at the North Campus that is not going through some sort of battle, especially multiple battles in the last couple years. It seems like just when we get into one, another one comes from another angle. And you're like, oh, now I'm fighting two battles. And then there's another one. Now I'm fighting three battles. And it seems like we're constantly in a battle. And it's been so easy, especially over the last couple of years, to feel beaten up, to feel beaten down, to feel helpless, and to feel hopeless. And I know that even today as I'm talking, many of you are in a battle. And you're in a battle maybe that you feel like you might be losing. Maybe a battle in your finances, maybe a battle in your marriage, maybe a battle in your health, maybe a battle in a relationship with somebody. Maybe you're fighting a battle of some sort and you feel like you're losing, and I'm here today to just put some courage in you. I want to encourage you today that even though you're in a battle, there is still victory ahead of you. Because in order to get to victory, there has to be a fight. All of us want victory. But none of us want the battle. We just want to come out on the other side and go, I'm going to go around this battle. I'm a victor. 
No, you don't get to be a victor without a battle, right? We, we don't get to win in anything if there's no fight in anything. And so I want to encourage you that even if you're in a fight or if you're in a battle today, that doesn't mean you've lost. There's victory on the other side of it. And in the New Testament specifically, the Bible talks a lot about war, about battles, about victory, but it's reminding us constantly that we're not in a physical war or a physical battle, but we are in a spiritual war. Ephesians chapter 6 is a great passage I'll reference multiple times today, but Ephesians 6 reminds us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, that our, our war is not against people, but against spiritual forces of evil is what the Bible says, supernatural powers in the heavenly realms, evil forces, but especially over the last couple of years, it's been so easy to look around and think that people are the enemy. It's been so easy, especially because of what culture is reminding us of, that we look around and we think, oh, they're the problem. Those people are the enemy. That's who I'm fighting against, whether it be a, a, a spouse, whether it be your kids, whether it be a political party, whether it be a race, whether it be a class of some sort, whether it be people who get the vaccination and people who don't get the vaccination. Those people aren't your enemy. You have a spiritual enemy. You're in a spiritual war, and part of the problem is, is that our spiritual enemy, Satan, who wants to just do nothing but steal, kill, and destroy your life, is trying to get you distracted from who the real enemy is. He, if he can get you fighting against someone else, you'll forget you're in a spiritual war, and he'll convince you that you've already lost this battle. I want you to remember today that you have victory in Jesus. God has given us victory once and for all over this spiritual enemy. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. It says that you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature that was not yet cut away, but then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of wrong, the record of charges against us, and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Now look at this verse. And in this way... He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. See, we were dead in our sin. We were helpless. We had no ability by ourselves to have any victory in our life. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, it changed everything. And that passage is so powerful to me. Because have you ever seen somebody who was publicly humiliated or shamed? Have you ever been publicly humiliated or shamed? I, it reminded me uh, of Steve Urkel. I used to watch Family Matters, and Steve Urkel seemed to be always getting publicly humiliated or shamed by people, right? Whether he got a wedgie or a swirly or something, and people were all watching, and he was publicly humiliated. I know that's never happened to any of you, and you would have never been the person on the other side of that. Not you guys. Y'all are good. But, but that's public humiliation. You know, another type of public humiliation everybody's afraid of is public speaking, what I'm doing right now is what a lot of people are afraid of. And I remember in college, um, I was afraid to talk in front of people. I mean, I, I did not want to. I didn't want to be. I was on, content being on the back side of the camera, not on the front side of the camera. And so I was perfectly fine not talking to anybody, but I had to do a speech class in college. And in this speech class, we had to get up and talk to a small group, maybe 50 people. But I was so afraid. The night before, I had a nightmare. And I don't know if you've had this nightmare before. But I was speaking, and those 50 people were looking at me, and all of a the sudden, they start to talk to each other, and they start to laugh, and I look down, and I'm in my underwear, and I'm speaking to them in my underwear, right? This was a feeling of public humiliation and public shame, and I know that that would never happen to me. I would never get up and talk in my underwear, because your boy checks a zipper every time I walk up here. 
I think I'd know by that point if I had pants on, right? And I would just not come up here. So it's impossible, but that's what we're afraid of is public humiliation and shame. This is the picture of what Jesus did on the cross to the enemy. He publicly humiliated him. He publicly shamed him in front of everybody. And what I love about this passage is the cross was meant to be a picture of humiliation and shame for the person that was on it. Jesus took our shame, but he flipped it. And the cross became a picture of public humiliation and shame for Satan because he defeated him on the cross. This is so powerful. This was the one chance Satan thought he had to win. And he humiliated him even more by thinking, your best shot was your worst shot. And I still won. You need to understand this victory that's available to you. And in that phrase in Colossians chapter 2, that he had victory over them, is the same phrase, having triumphed over. And you'll see that phrase multiple times in scripture, but one particular one I want to look at today is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, But thanks be to God, starting the same way, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of knowledge of him everywhere. Amen. Now, we don't understand this verse fully, but in that time, they would have understood that phrase triumphal procession, and how Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Because a triumphal procession was a big like parade that they would have when the Roman army would go out and they would, the king would leave and go fight a battle somewhere. When he would win that battle, they would line up everybody that they had defeated in order from the kings that they defeated, the rulers and, the, and those in authority, and then everybody who they took captive would be lined up, and then the soldiers who were fighting on the king's behalf, the army would be behind them, and the king would be leading this royal procession on his chariot, and they would be marching from place to place publicly humiliating those that he had victory over. The kings and the authorities and all of those taken captive would be in shackles and have to be marching from city to city to city all the way back to the king's territory as a triumphal procession humiliating them saying, we have the victory over this enemy. That's the picture we have in Jesus, is that he is leading us in a triumphal procession, city after city after city, showing the victory that we have. And it says something fascinating there. It says that we are the fragrance of Christ, the aroma of Christ. Let me tell you what that would have meant to them in that day. Victory has a smell. Because what they would do in this army is there were people that would go before the king and they would be burning incense and they'd be swinging it back and forth. And it was a scent and a smell that would have been custom to the Roman army. So as they're smelling this going through cities, it's the smell of victory. It's a reminder that we've won. To, to the people who were defeated, it was the smell of death because they didn't know what was coming ahead of them. But to the ones who won, it was like a scent arrived before the royal procession arrived. It was the smell of victory. You need to know you have the smell of victory in your life. That when you go into places, people should smell victory on your life and go, I don't know what that is, but I want it. That's a victorious person. When everybody else is defeated, you are having victory. That is the picture that we're supposed to have. That we don't serve a weak Savior. We don't serve an anemic Savior. We don't serve a defeated Savior. We don't serve a Savior who's still on a cross looking all skinny and beat up. No, we serve a victorious Savior who's risen from the grave. 
Why am I so passionate about this today? Why am I so fired up about this today? It's because I want you to remember that you have victory in Jesus so you get your fight back. Some of you have given up. Some of you are just roaming through life, barely making it because you don't remember the victory that is yours through Jesus Christ. So I want you to remember this victory. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. I want to show you this picture, one more picture here of victory for you. I've always loved this phrase. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah speaking. He says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I always thought this was a fascinating verse, and I never fully understand it or understood it until recently. But, but a train of a robe, like none of us wear really robes around anymore, so there's no train of a robe. But if you've ever been to a wedding, many times the bride will wear this train, right? And, and sometimes it's a long train, and they'll have a couple bridesmaids coming behind them, and they're like picking it up and carrying it and picking the roses off of it that the flower girls have thrown out, and they'll position it. Y'all have seen this, right? Everybody seen it? Okay. This is, the, this is the type of train of a robe that has been talking about here in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. But what makes this even more powerful is when you understand the context here. That in this day, again, it would have been not uncommon for the victorious king, having fought a battle, to go to the king that he just defeated and cut off that king's robe. Right? It would be a, tr- a robe. He would cut off that robe, and it would be a visible picture that he was dethroning this king and stripping him from his authority and taking the territories that this king was over away from him. Then they would sew that train of the robe onto the victorious king's robe, symbolizing, now this is my authority, and this territory is my territory. This is the picture we're seeing here in Isaiah 6.1. And what makes this even more powerful is that Isaiah was talking about Jesus. In John 12, 41, you can read this later, it says that Isaiah spoke about the glory of the Lord he saw on the throne. He was talking about Jesus. So Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, was seeing into the future. He was seeing Jesus on the throne in the train of his robe filling the temple. That was a picture that was symbolic, that he had won every victory, that he had defeated every authority, and he had stripped them of their powers. And the kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdoms of our God. And if he's sitting on the throne in your life, what are we today? the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if you're the temple of the Holy Spirit and Jesus is sitting on the throne of your life, your life is filled with the train of his robe. Victory after victory after victory is living inside of you. I want you to get your fight back today. So here's how I want to spend the next few minutes with you is I want to give you some ways to fight because there is a battle. We do, even though we have victory, we still have to fight. So let me give you four ways to fight if you're taking notes today. And the first one is this. We fight from victory. You need to remember this today. This is important today that you understand that we fight from a place of victory. Even though we're fighting, we're already victorious. In Isaiah chapter 6, when it was talking about the train of his robe filling the temple, remember, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means that victory is living inside of you. Look at Romans 8 verse 11. It says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by his same Spirit 
living within you. You need to remember that the Spirit of God is living inside of you, that the power of God is living inside of you. This is important because we're not fighting for a place of victory. We're fighting from a place of victory. How would you walk through this life if you knew that the battle you're facing, you're going to end up victorious one day? How would, you, how would you walk around? Not in arrogance, not in pride, no, but with some confidence. You'd have a little swagger in your walk. You'd have a little dip in your step, right? I don't know if y'all know what that means, but that's okay. Some of you will get it. You will walk around, though, with your head up and your shoulders back, not living defeated. The power of God is inside of you. The Spirit of God is inside of you. Quit walking through life defeated. In a war, the position is very important. You want the high position. That's the place that you can win from. You already have the high road in the high position in this battle. You're fighting from the high ground. And I want you to realize it's important that this is the first thing to understand because when you approach the fight, you need to remember, I'm fighting from victory. Yes, there's a battle, but I've already got the victory. The second one is fight in prayer. Fight in prayer. You know, battles are not simply one on the defensive end. You need defense in a battle, but there has to be offense. Battles are won by taking ground. Battles are won by the offensive. And since we're in a spiritual war, prayer is one of the ways that we fight on the offensive. It's not a defensive position. It is an offensive position. And in Ephesians chapter 6, once again, if you read that passage, there's a long passage here that talks about the helmet of salvation. This is the, this is the different uh, armor that we have, the helmet of salvation. We have the breastplate of righteousness. We have the shield of faith. We have the belt of truth. We have the shoes of peace. Most of those are defensive. But then it says that we have, in verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, Amen. right? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God was written under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But this is the next verse I want you to see in verse 18. It says, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion, and stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. What he's trying to say here is, yes, we have a sword of the Spirit, but we pray in the Spirit. Amen. Praying in the Spirit and by the Spirit is your weapon of offense. See, we don't have to pray aimlessly. We're not just throwing up darts hoping something sticks. We can pray with some specific focus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 says that we don't even know how to pray without the Spirit's leading. So what does this look like practically? We just say, Holy Spirit, how am I supposed to attack this issue? What word am I supposed to stand on in the scripture? What verses can I use to combat this issue through prayer? Jesus always used the word of God. So we ask the Holy Spirit, how do I need to fight in this particular battle? Because every battle is not the same. Every circumstance is not the same. And you need guidance from our helper that we talked about a few weeks ago, our guide. How do I attack this issue in the spirit? So we have to, but we have to pray to do that. So we fight in prayer through the power of the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, and through the Holy Spirit. So we're going to fight from the position of victory. We're going to fight in prayer. And this is a very important one oftentimes we miss, and that is fight in community. We fight in community. As I was preparing this week, I felt like the Lord wanted me to tell some people today that some of you are losing battles you're supposed to win because you're fighting alone. You're fighting in isolation. You're fighting in darkness. And you have taken a Rambo approach to Christianity. 
If you've never seen Rambo, he just charged the hill by himself. That's not how we're supposed to be. We're an army, according to the scripture. We're not a bunch of lone rangers out there just fighting by ourselves. No, when we're isolated and we're trying to fight alone, we can't see the cracks in the wall where the enemy's getting in. We all have blind spots, and, we, and, and I need someone to cover my back. You need someone to cover your back. I have friends in my life that I've had for a long period of time, and what we do is we cover each other because I can't see different angles that, are, that the attack could be coming from. If, if the enemy's sneaking up behind me, I need someone going, hey, look behind you. I got your six, right? How this has worked out practically in my life is they'll point out little things like, hey, I saw the way you were speaking to your wife the other day, and you were making a joke, but it hurt her feelings. I don't want the enemy to get in there and cause something to happen. I didn't even see that. I didn't even know that, but an attack was already being launched on my marriage, and I had somebody fighting with me, praying for me, saying, here's how, here's how you need to address this. Multiple different angles I've had that over the years because I can't see what I can't see. And if I were to bring a bunch of people up here, this is how they used to fight together. They would, put, they would fight together with their shields together, and they would move together as one company so there were no blind spots. But there's too many people fighting alone in isolation and wondering why they're not winning the battle. 1 Peter 5.8 says it this way, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What a picture you got to stay alert. You need to pay attention to what's going on around you because there is a real enemy, and he is prowling around looking to take someone out. And that's what's powerful to me is he says looking for someone to devour, not looking for a group of people to devour, not looking for a church to devour. He's trying to devour people individually. And it, you could watch any National Geographic. You could watch any Discovery Channel. And you'll see that this is, this is even how it is in the animal world. You'll see that the lion attacks the wildebeest that has drifted away from the pack. He attacks the sheep who's not with the sheepfold and the shepherd. The ones who are isolated are easy prey to the enemy. No matter how strong they are, no matter how fast they are, they're alone. And they are an easy prey to the enemy. This is the same picture we're supposed to get in our spiritual walk with God. <coughs> That in community, in community we're protected. In community we fight in unity, authenticity, and transparency. Because when people don't know what's going on in your life, that's where the enemy can win. This is part of the reason we have life groups, guys. Because you're not meant to do life alone. You need people who are praying for you, who are praying with you, that you can be authentic with, that you can be transparent with, that you can say, I got problems because we all have problems. And the lie of the enemy is nobody else has an issue. Only you do. So don't tell nobody anything, right? And so you don't say anything because you think, oh, well, they're not dealing with it. They're dealing with something and they need you and you need them. Look at James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I'd like some wonderful results in my life, right? This is why we need each other. You need someone to pray for you. You need someone to pray with you, to stand with you, to fight the battles with you. And, and the scripture says to confess to them because he knows that if you're hiding something, that's where the enemy gets in. Not trying to expose you. It's trying to keep you from being exposed to the enemy. See, the truth is, is battles are won and lost by who shows up. Who's showing up 
in your battle? Whose battle are you showing up in? You need people fighting with you, and someone needs you fighting with them. We were never meant to do life alone. And I was thinking about one example of this in Scripture uh, in Acts chapter 12, where Peter was put in prison. And the Bible says that the entire church was praying fervently, earnestly for Peter. And so an angel shows up, wakes Peter up, takes his chains off, and they just walk right out of there. No one sees them because the church was praying. You need a church praying for you. You need a body of believers praying for you to see great things happen in your life. If you're bound, you need believers to help pray for you to become free. Fight in community. Please, if you hear anything I say today, you're in a spiritual war. You're not meant to fight alone. If you fight alone, you will become a casualty. That is not God's plan for your life. Get in community where you can win. So we fight from a place of victory. We fight in prayer. We fight in community together. And then finally, we fight in worship. Now, you know, you've heard worship is a weapon, right? There's even a song like, this is how I fight my battles, and it's all about worship. Why is worship such a weapon in, uh, in a fight, in a spiritual fight? It's a weapon because the enemy wants your worship. He's always wanted your worship. That's why he tries to distract us with everything else that we'll look at. He wants your worship. He, that's why he fell from heaven. He wanted people to worship him. He wanted God's glory. He even tried to tempt Jesus to bow to him and to worship him. He's always wanted your worship. And when you worship God in the middle of a battle, what you're doing is magnifying the victorious one. You're magnifying the glory of God. And you get a proper perspective of the battle. And you get a proper perspective of the enemy. You see God as the victor and you see the enemy as the defeated foe that he already is. That's why he doesn't want you to worship because your attention goes off the problem and goes to the solution in God. You expose him through your worship. All throughout scripture, you can see the power of worship in the battle. In the New Testament, you can see how worship unlocked doors and broke chains off of Paul and Silas when they were in prison, in the middle of the prison, bound up at midnight. They began to worship God and chains fell off and doors opened up. Your doors in your life and chains fall off when you begin to worship. You can look at how worship brings down walls. Joshua in the battle of Jericho. When you begin to worship, God fights the battle for you if you're obedient to what he's saying. You can look in the Old Testament and see how worship opens our eyes to the supernatural. You need to get a picture of what's happening in the supernatural because when the world looks dark and the world looks bleak and you're in the middle of a battle and you feel like you're losing, you need your spiritual eyes open to see what's happening in the supernatural. Just like when Elisha said that we're surrounded by the opposing enemies, please, Lord, open the eyes of my servant so he would see the supernatural. His servant's eyes were opened and they saw heaven's armies surrounding them. That's what happens when you begin to worship God. That's what happens when you begin to fight in the spirit. Heaven comes and fights with you and for you. And my burden today, my hope for you today is that you'll get your head up, that you'll get your fight back. I want you to live the rest of your life in the victory that you already have, reminded that sin has no power over you. Death has no power over you. These are the two things that used to triumph over us before Jesus. These are the two things that used to publicly shame us before Jesus. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have power over sin. We have power over death. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, back to what we started with. Verse 55 says, Where, O death, is your victory? 
Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But then we started with this verse. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at the next verse. Therefore, because you have this victory, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. Listen, stand firm. As a follower of Jesus, death is behind you. You died the day you gave your life to Jesus, which means only victory is in front of you. If you're a follower of Jesus, stand firm, be immovable. Give yourself to fighting for the Lord. Give yourself to the battle. The battles are not insignificant. They're not in vain. Your fighting isn't pointless. There is victory on the other side of it. And some of you have been taking some hits. Some of you feel like you've taken the enemy's best punches. And I was thinking about that today because we all feel like that sometimes. And I was reminded of a story that Ron Corzine told here many years ago that he was watching this fight, this boxing match on TV. And it was a boxing match between Holyfield and Tyson. And it was the first fight. And he said, and I love the way he painted this picture, and I want you to see this today, that Holyfield punched, I'm sorry, Tyson punched Holyfield as hard as he could. And the camera zoomed in on Tyson's face. And it was like he just had this expression like, I just punched that guy with everything I have. And he's still standing. And then it panned over to Holyfield's face. And his face was, he just punched me with everything he has. And I'm still standing. And I want you to understand today, you may have taken some hard punches from the enemy, but you're still standing. You're still standing. You're not knocked down. That means victory is still yours through Jesus Christ. Listen, the Bible says that no weapon formed against you will prosper. Not that there won't be any weapons. They just won't knock you out. So I want you to get your swagger back today. I want you to throw your shoulders back. I want you to walk in victory today. Ephesians 6 says, having done all, stand. So what I want you to do right now in this moment is I want you to stand in victory. I want you to literally stand at the North Campus stand, online stand, in your living room stand. And as you take a stand today, remind yourself, I'm not done. I'm still standing. I've taken some punches. But I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I have victory. Amen. Woo, I'm fired up. I almost just took a lap. I want you to leave a trail of victory behind you for the rest of your life. Let's pray together. God, I just thank you. We thank you. You just thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the victory we have in Jesus. Thank you, God, that we are not defeated. That every battle that we face, God, we're fighting on the other side of it. We're fighting from victory. That doesn't mean life won't get difficult at times, but we're still standing. We're not going to give up. We're going to be a people, God, that has victory after victory after victory. So that you get the glory today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's. Thanks for joining us today. I pray this message encouraged you, inspired you, and maybe even challenged you a little bit. If you made a decision for Jesus, we are celebrating with you. Welcome to the family of God. We would love to know about it. So message us online or you can text yes card to 903-200-3808 and let us know what decision you made. We want to come alongside you, help you find a local church. It's very important to be connected to the local body of Christ, whether with us or somewhere else. So let us know so we can help
help you and let you know your next steps with Jesus. I'd love to see you real soon in person, but until then, know that I'm praying for you. I'm praying God's best in your life. God bless you.